Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome into this special breaking news edition of the Fairways of Life show. We welcome everyone and all. Golf's turbulent waters continue to churn as news in the last 24 hours of the golf news cycle came out that the PGA Tour may actually be looking in other directions for sources of investment money. We'll get to that story coming up. We didn't have time the last time we were together either to get reaction from players and more to the fact that the official World Golf Rankings have turned down Liv's request to receive ranking points. This from Doug Ferguson of the Associated Press, and he writes, Live Golf is playing for only cash, not world ranking points, after the official World Golf Ranking Board determined that it could not fairly measure the 48-man league with the other 24 tours around the world. The OWGR rejected the application from the Saudi-backed Live Golf, first submitted in July 2022 after the league already had played two of its 54 hole no cut events. Peter Dawson chairman of the official world golf ranking board said when contacted by the Associated Press quote we are not at war with them. The decision not to make them eligible is not political. It's entirely technical. Live players are self-evidently good enough to be ranked. They're just not playing in a format where they can be ranked equitably with the other 24 tours and thousands of players trying to compete on them. Close quote. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, European Tour CEO Keith Pelley, and Keith Waters of the International Federation of PGA Tours previously recused themselves from the Live Golf decision to avoid any conflict of interest. The committee that rejected Liv's application comprised leaders of Augusta National, the PGA of America, the U.S. Golf Association, and the RNA, which run the four majors. The majors use the OWGR points as part of their qualifying criteria. You can see quotes up on your television screen if you're with us on the TV side of the letter from the OWGR to live golf. I'll have some quotes of the same. The OWGR's sole objective is to rank the best players across the globe, quoting, today's communication makes clear that it can no longer deliver on that objective, live golf said in their statement. Liv said that a ranking system that doesn't fairly represent all players regardless of where they play would deprive fans and players, noting that the majors rely on the world rankings, quote, it also robs some traditional tournaments of the best fields possible, close quote. A professional golf is now without a true or global scoring and ranking system, they continued. There is no benefit for fans or players from the lack of trust or clarity as long as the best player performances are not recognized. Again, close quote there. Live Golf, which has two events left in its second season, has 48 players competing over 54 holes with no cut in a $20 million purse with an additional $5 million awarded 
in simultaneous team competition. Dawson, a non-voting member of the committee, said the OWGR could work around some of the requirements, such as a 36-hole cut and having an average field size of 75 players over the course of a season. But the the committee could not get past what amounts to a closed shop. Live Golf has the same 48 players for the entire season with alternates in case of injury and not enough turnover. While the top 24 players are assured a spot the following season, Live Golf signed several players to lucrative contracts that assure them a spot on the roster regardless of their performance. Among those currently outside the top 24 are Phil Mickelson, Lee Westwood, Bubba Watson, Paul Casey, and Ian Poulter. Three players are to be added for the 2024 season through a promotions tournament with a fourth player, Andy Ogletree, advancing through the International Series on the Asian Tour. Live Golf can choose to add others by recruiting, such as signing up Mito Pereira and Thomas Peters ahead of the 2023 season. Most tours around the world typically have a turnover rate of 20 to 25%. Live Golf made its debut in June 2022, and the lack of world ranking points has taken an enormous toll. Players who joined the rival league were suspended by the PGA Tour and European Tour, and their only access to points came during the majors and Asian Tour events. When Live Golf competes, uh, completes its inaugural season, or did, it had 12 players from the top 50 in the world, led by, of course, Open champion Cameron Smith and 24 of the top 100. In this week's ranking, Smith is down to number 15. PGA champion Brooks Kepka is number 18, and they're the only players in the top 50. And Liv only has six players amongst the top 100. Amongst those no longer in the top 100 are Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Taylor Gooch, who has three Liv golf victories this year. Liv players have mocked the OWGR for not being credible without offering them ranking points. Quoting Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, of course they should be in the ranking, Dawson said. We need to find a way to get that done. I hope that Liv can find a solution, not so much their format that can be dealt with through the mathematical formula, but the qualification and relegation. Close quote. The OWGR committee also raised concerns over the team aspect of Live, particularly a moment involving Sebastian Munoz at the Live Golf event in Florida a week before the Masters. Kepka had a one shot lead on the final hole, with he and Munoz both about 40 feet away. Kepka went first and left his putt just over four feet away. Munoz needed to make birdie to force a playoff. However, his torque team had a one-shot lead. Munoz lagged his putt to just inside of four feet and made par. Quote, I knew we were one stroke ahead on the team, so I couldn't go extra. I knew I couldn't be too aggressive, close quote, Munoz said, when it was all over. Live Golf can reapply to be part of the OWGR system, though the board made it clear that turnover, objective access to Live Golf, and relegating players who don't perform remain key points in getting ranking points. There's also the matter of the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and the Saudi backers of Live Golf, the public investment fund, working out a commercial partnership announced in June. One of the provisions is evaluating the future of team golf so that from doug ferguson of the associated press now this is from golf monthly this is a uk-based uh, publication and the title of their article reads ridiculous 
Cameron Smith blasts OWGR decision to deny Live Golf ranking points. The former Open champion is one of a number of Live Golfers who have been vocal in their disapproval of the OWGR board's ruling. This is by Ben Fleming, and he writes, Former Open champion Cameron Smith has labeled decision not to award world ranking points to live golf events as ridiculous and suggested the official world golf ranking has become almost obsolete. Earlier this week, it was revealed that the OWGR uh, board has denied the 54-hole circuit's request to be awarded ranking points live players have been unable to gain owgr points on the breakaway circuit since leaving the pga tour with many spiraling down the rankings and out of contention for majors as a result the owgr's latest decision will see this trend continue something that has caught the ire of several of the tour's players cameron smith who has slipped to 15th in the world said before lives final regular season event quote i think that the owgr is almost obsolete now we've got guys out here who are playing some of the best golf in the world and they're outside the top 100 200 in the world it's pretty ridiculous close quote dustin johnson is another spoke out in the decision suggesting that the ruling delegitimizes the entire ranking system saying quote i feel like you can't really use the world ranking system anymore said the two-time major champion it's hard to use the world ranking system if you're excluding 48 guys that are good players the rankings are skewed close quote both johnson and smith are still exempt for the majors after their respective victories at the 2020 masters and 2022 open but other players will find it increasingly dis- difficult to compete in the four biggest tournaments in Meds Golf. Patrick Reed, who won at Augusta in 2018, will see his five-year exemption run out this year, meaning he will not automatically qualify for the three remaining majors of the year, the American said. Obviously, it's disappointing. Until the actual world ranking reflects the actual top players in the world, and to me, it's just kind of a broken system. Just because we play in a different tour, it shouldn't matter, close quote. OWGR chairman Peter Dawson clarified the decision, saying the closed shop nature of Live Golf meant it was not viable to accurately rank their golfers relative to the other tours. Quote, this decision is, is not to make them eligible, and it's not political. It's entirely technical. Live players are self-evidently good enough to be ranked. They're just not playing in a format where they can be ranked equitably with the other 24 tours and thousands of players trying to compete on them, close quote. Live Golf has also responded to this, blasting the decision, suggesting that the sport is now, quote, without a true or global scoring and ranking system, close quote. They continue by saying OWGR's sole objective is to rank the best players across the globe. This communication makes clear that it can no longer deliver on that objective. All right, so that from Golf Monthly. So taking all of that into account, there was reaction from many different places, including from Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson was reacting initially to a tweet that was sent out by Trevor Immelman, in which Trevor wrote in his his tweet, if I were going to start a pro golf tour and I decided that I wanted my tour to have world ranking points available for the players, I'd probably at the outset make sure that my tour did whatever the world ranking organization required in order to comply. From there, Kyle Porter said, including Liv, is not protecting, excluding live is not protecting themselves. It's arguably worsening the quality of their respective products. Uh, he, he writes on that one. Phil Mickelson re- responded, 
to what was sent out by Trevor Immelman when he said, Trev, Trevor, Liv was never going to get points. And he wrote never in all caps, as you can see. Why? One, it's a monopoly run by all the governing bodies. Two, the PGA Tour TV contract is based on official World Golf Rankings criteria for them to get all of their money. Three, they would lose leverage in negotiations if Liv got points. And four, last but not least, the tour has borrowed against the TV deal. If they don't hit their benchmarks and they don't get all their TV money, he writes in parentheses from CBS, they will have an immediate capital call. Don't believe me? Ask Sean McManus. Sean McManus is the immediate past head of CBS Sports. So Kyle Porter continues with his saying, the major organizations which voted, and they are incidentally the only ones that voted, are incentivized to protect the financial interest of the tour, which did not vote more than they're incentivized to protect the quality of their own products, question marks, he asks. And Phil continues and says, you mean the events that bring in hundreds and hundreds of millions but pay the players 12 to 15? They are protecting themselves as well. It, and this continues from Phil Mickelson, where, where Kyle comes back and says, how are they protecting themselves by keeping the best players out of their fields? Phil says, he was asked about from another person that wrote in, what about the 54 holes and no cuts? Uh, did, that, did that have anything to do with it? He says, no, that's just their public excuse so they can protect each other. A lot of people believe that too. Can't blame them though because people like you simply don't have all the facts. That's why I'm sharing them with you now. You are welcome, writes Phil Mickelson. And this continues going back and forth. Shane Connor writes in, while they borrowed on margin against the contract, is that standard in major sports interesting? And Phil wrote back and said, Yup. Someone else writes into Phil and says, stop whining. Phil said, stating facts isn't whining, and I don't care if Liv ever gets points. This is move six in a long game of chess. You won't believe moves 32 to 37. That's when it gets really good. That going back and forth from Phil Mickelson. Obviously, there are heated emotions involved in all of this. However, Bryson DeChambeau spoke uh, before this week's Liv event, and he had a suggestion of how he thinks this can be resolved. Well, I, I think I said what was necessary in that in that quote. I guess you could say is it's just been par par for the course, unfortunately. And I think at this point in time, now that um, they're not allowing it, we we would love to find another way to be integrated into the major championship system, as I think we um, have the best some of the best players in the world and. You know, uh, top 12 on the list, the money list at the end of the year or the points list at the end of the year would be, um, I think, obvious for the major championships to host the best players in the world um, at those four events each year. So that, that's really my thoughts on it. I don't, I don't think there's much more to, to be said. It's it's honestly sad that they've done that. And people are going to say that, that it's sad that we came over here. But it's like, look, this is an amazing opportunity for every one of us. I think we've told that narrative quite a bit. And we want to continue to change and grow the game in places like Saudi Arabia, like uh, Singapore, like Australia, numerous places we've all been throughout this year. And we're going to continue to do so over the course of time. I think that's what's needed. I think it's what's necessary. And I think we uh, are doing a solid job of it so far. And it's only going to get better. So as a, in regards to the OWGR, it's, it is what it is. 
All right, Bryson DeChambeau addressing the media just a couple of days ago. Bob Herrig on his Twitter account featured the response by Martin Slumbers, of course, the chief executive of the RNA. And he was asked about the open giving spots to live players based on the year-long season standings, to which Slumbers said, and I'm quoting, I think that's one of the options that we have. It's not the option that is at the top of my list at the moment, but it would be one of the options that is available. Close quote. Okay, we tried to give you as well-balanced a reaction from all corners to the official World Golf Rankings turning down Live Golf as to the rankings. Very much interested in what you guys think about all of this. Dominic, I'm sure there are messages coming in already this morning. Uh, Care to peruse a few and let us know what people are saying? Uh, Sure. Uh, Good morning, Matt. This is is crazy. (laughs) But I have to admit, from where I'm sitting, uh, I love it. Uh, as, an, as a producer of a program, a golf program, this is, this is maximum joy for me because it's just absolute chaos on all sides, a tremendous amount of complexity, a tremendous amount of gray area, and there's just no way to know how all of this is going to play out. Even more so with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about coming up in the show in segment two, there's even more bombs coming, getting dropped here. It's insane. Um, all right, so the question of the day well, you know what? I'm going to save question of the day for segment two because that's more focused on segment two. Uh, Derek says, hello, good morning. Uh, I hope Matt's surgery went well. Matt, you want to come in quickly on the surgery? You're, you're, I, I know Matt's a little, uh, oh, there's a thing on my face. I can't even see the thing on your face. It, it went well, yes? Yeah, everything, every, I think everything went well. Uh, I haven't had the, the bandage removed from the, from the surgery yet. I can't, I'm not allowed to do that until tomorrow afternoon, and then I have to clean it. Uh, it was about 20 stitches, uh, but uh, the doctor said everything went well. So I haven't seen it yet myself. It's it's behind a, a huge uh, gauze and, and, and bandage here on the left side of, of my face. Well, I think it looks fine, Matt. And um, obviously, we're all glad that uh, the cancer's been I removed. I think the bigger message, Dom, is, okay. yeah, the bigger message is, is for people to get checked. Make sure you get checked. If, you, if you're a sportsman, sports person, sportswoman, you're outside – uh, you play golf, you're in the sun, get yourself checked. There's there's no reason not to. For sure. Uh, all right. To some of the stuff coming down the pipe here. Sports Illustrated has a, has a ranking system that includes live. So it can be done. The OWGR's decision is 100% politics. Just look at Phil's tweets. Come on, face it, Paul says. The problem is that live is a closed club. Change that and that's it. Manesh says, Phil dropped some truth bombs. The official World Golf Rankings is biased towards the PGA Tour to the detriment of every other tour, not just live. This is a fact. David says, how can anyone dispute Dawson? Chase says, good morning. This is wild. I agree. This is great. (laughs) This is insane. Every part of it's insane. I love it. Um, Matt's looking good, so that's good. The Live Project is over by 2025, they say. Phil destroyed Kyle and company. He's a better journalist journalist than they will ever be. The PGA Tour is for sale to anybody but the Saudis. Phil's playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. Live players took the money. I thought they accepted what came with it. I doubt Phil even <laughs> knows how to play chess. There's There's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe, Matt. I think... Before we take a break, because on the other side, this this whole conversation, I think, is going to get taken to the next level, the next notch up. 
what is your initial reaction, your initial reaction, not only to some of the comments that are coming in, but just in general to the news that came out from the official World Golf Rankings board? Are you surprised by the news? Do you think that the decision is good, bad, or just indifferent to how things are unfolding here? My my position on it is the same as it has been, that there should be a way found to award world r- ranking points to the players that are playing on live. It sounds to me like the, the, and again, this is unfair for me to judge because I wasn't a part of the process and don't know all the details, but it sounds to me like the, the official world golf rankings went to live and said, Hey, we need you to answer all these questions. How do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? Tell me about your process with this, blah, blah, blah. And they, and they got back whatever information they got back. They got that information back. They took that in, information uh, in, into, into the decision process accordingly. And then they said, well, it's, it's, it's not in keeping with the, with the other 24. And, they, and we talked, they, they mentioned it. Uh, he mentioned specifically what it was. It more or less, he didn't use these words, but more or less that they think that live is too much of a closed shop. And, and my thinking, and, it, and, it, and it's, again, it's consistent with what, what I've been saying from the beginning of this thing. If something like that exists, why can't you work with the, whoever the, the whoever whether it was Liv or somebody else that requested points why can't you work with them and say okay before we give you a decision these are the areas that you need to to modify in order to get world ranking points instead of instead of making a decision based on saying this is the way that you have it structured now again i have to i have to try to be fair and equitable in this cuz i don't know how how their inner internal process works did they say that to live if they said that to live and live said no we're not going to change we don't want to have any other method than, than the one that we have, then I can understand whether they're, they're at an impasse and they say we need to figure this out. But I've never heard that mentioned by anybody. I never heard that there was an active dialogue involved where what I'm saying is if you're going to be the official world golf ranking and someone comes to you that's clearly a major tour in the world by virtue of the star power that they have on it, players that clearly deserve to be ranked, players that are contending and winning major championships – Right. Then then you would think that that instead of there just being a review process that lasts, as they've told us, one to two years, there's also an active engagement that says, "Okay, these are the areas where we have an issue that we need to have have uh, something. You know, you're talking about when 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 how how players go up and down in a particular field. And is there equity involved in that or is it is it just a guaranteed thing or can you modify the contracts accordingly uh if for example with with the players that are outside of the what was it 24 if i remember correctly and it was phil lee bubba i forget who else it was in it was in that article that that doug wrote so brilliantly but what I'm getting at there is that if, well, if that's the case, okay, well, how do other tours do it? Well, let's look at how the PJ Tour does it. If a player is a member of the tour but does not otherwise qualify to be a part of the event, namely signature events coming up in 2024, we've noted this multiple times, there are sponsors' exemptions available. So it completely skirts all of the other concerns. So if you have players that are under contract and you said you're guaranteed to play, don't worry about it. You're here, regardless of your performance. You're, you're good. And the world ranking says, well, we need to see how there is 
players moving up and down in terms of accessibility based upon great play or, on the other side of it, based upon poor play. Well, if it's based upon poor play, they literally can keep those players in every single event by going, yeah, you got an exemption, you're in. So I believe that there are pathways forward that they can work out. So what I don't understand with this whole process was were those discussions had, and again, I'm not making a judgment, I'm saying did they happen? Were those discussions had, and if they were had, then you're working with the organization to say, let's find ways that we can massage this thing so that your criteria of competition matches the world ranking, and we don't have to go through this whole process that, that continues to just light the golf world on fire, just one of many. So anyway, that's because I, 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 I would really find it hard to believe, except for those people that are so hardened in their belief, and I've seen it, I've seen it out there, where people go, oh, no, 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 those players made a decision, and they knew that there were consequences where there's, with that decision. What we're talking about is, in particular, filling out the fields of major championships. Can we deny that players, like Phil Mickelson finished tied for second at the Masters this year. Right now, Phil Mickelson's a bad example because he's he's still going to have an exemption. Same thing with Brooks, obviously. Right. But you have players that can play and they can contend. The fact that Taylor Gooch, who's playing really well, didn't have an opportunity to compete and contend. He didn't have an opportunity to qualify, which he decided not to do. But that's his business. I'm talking about the merits of play saying, no, 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 you're clearly one of the best players in the world. You should be there. So it's not just about shutting the door on those players because you don't want them to compete because you don't like the decision that they made. It's about making sure that these major championship fields are not diminished in the eyes of history because the best players in the world have an opportunity to play there. It's about a lot more than where any personal grievance may lie. Anyways, that's my my perspective on it. We've got more news, and this is the primary purpose of this breaking news edition of the Fairways of Life show today, and that is the prospect of what is going on with the PGA Tour in terms of their strategic partnerships and sources of major investment funds. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that the vast majority of us believed that in their discussions with the Saudi Arabia-backed PIF, private investment fund, public investment fund, that they were looking to take in very, very large sums of money that would fund the operations in a a new for-profit entity of the PGA Tour, the European Tour, now known as the DP World Tour, uh, and live all under one umbrella. We heard rumblings, whispers on the periphery that maybe that's not the only option in terms of a source of funds. Well, over the last 24 hours, we've been made aware that that's more than whispers. And there is, in fact, fire where that smoke uh, is coming from. We'll have that story for you coming up here on the Fairways of Life show on this Friday. Uh, The PGA Tour Superstore is the number one golf retailer throughout the land from coast to coast, more than 60 big, beautiful stores, which I am excited and delighted to say we're going to be 
had a couple of them coming up this week. Dom's flying down here, and we're going to get a chance to hang out and uh, broadcast from these PGA Tour superstores from some really special events, which we'll share with you uh, at the time. But I know that you can share whatever your desires are for your game with the staff at the PGA Tour Superstore, which distinguishes them from everybody else because they are professionals. There's nobody else at this scale of golf retail where you are dealing with professionals. Sure, there's other stores that sell golf equipment and other big box stores that sell golf equipment. They're not pros. Who do you want to invest your trust with? Someone that actually knows what they're talking about and what's best for you? Shop with the pros. You do it at your happy place, PJ Tour Superstore. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team. The absolute best golf club I have ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date. And they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. 
Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this special edition with breaking news over the last 24 hours. Quite remarkable at that. Credit Bloomberg. Uh, you can find it at Bloomberg.com. In an interview with Ari Emanuel, who's the CEO of TKO and Endeavor, and let me just give you a little background into who Ari is, if you do not know. Basically, he's the CEO of a company that's called Endeavor and a media mogul. Endeavor is a California-based company that has annual revenue of $5.27 billion and over $12 billion in assets. Their subsidiaries include IMG, Endeavor Streaming, Professional Bull Riders, and TKO Group Holdings, which uh, the last of which is a majority shareholder of, of UFC and WWE, just to give you an idea. So in this conversation, this clip that you're about to see, the host was asking Ari about what the host was presenting as not fact, but as alleged, are you talking to the PGA tour about making a major investment in the PGA tour and the revelation of what his answer was and that others may be considering the same. Check this out. My colleagues and I uh, reported recently that your company has expressed some interest. You brought up live some interest in maybe investing in the PGA Tour. Saudi Arabia is obviously supposed to be part of... You're smiling at me. No, no, we... we, we <laughs> you, you're reported you're an unbelievable journalist. We, 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 like... I think it's like seven other bidders. We put in a bid for the... Um, there's a 501c3 nonprofit, and then they've created a profit uh, uh, investment opportunity for the PGA. We put in a bid, I think, a week ago. Like, no, Friday. Um, we are in, in TKO, the, lot, the sports business. I'm an avid golfer. Anybody want to come seven handicap? We, you know, we, we you know, and it's you, one of the great sports. Yeah. I love it. You know, I think we could add to it what we've added to all of our sports based on the flywheel. Would that, do you have a sense of whether that would be in addition to the Saudi money coming in or instead of? Uh, we put in our bid. Yeah. For what? For the PGA deal. For, 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 for a piece of the tour or for the for, whole thing? For, for the PGA. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a piece or whole? I'm you, know, you, can't, you can't buy the majority. Okay. Thank you. So. Um, I would love to. Yeah. All right. So I'm just writing some notes down here because I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And Andrew, just so you know, I'm going to have you play that in its entirety again as we go over some of this. So some of the things that were fascinating to me about what Ari just said was, one, how many people were aware that there was a formal bidding process underway? Two, and this is the big question, why? On June 6th, we were told that for the good of the game and the best of the game, that they're moving forward with this new partner in the public investment fund. Has that changed? And if it's changed, in what way has it changed? Next, Ari said that there were seven bidders, seven. And then there was this kind of stumbling and stammering over bidding for what exactly? Even asked for the PGA Tour, and the answer was kind of like, yeah, you know. Then asked specifically, pressed on it, you know, buying the PGA Tour, you can't buy the majority of it. So that's still going to belong to whatever entity the PGA Tour exists in. 
presumably that's what the players own, right? So the question is, many, how has the strategic objectives of the PGA Tour changed? How or what impact did the regulator scrutiny have on this? Whether we're talking about the Department of Justice, whether we were talking about the Senate hearings, what impact did it have? If Live and the Public Investment Fund is still part of this discussion, does that mean that their investment is less than what it was going to be? Or does that mean that their investment is simply diluted by sources of fund coming from these other people? Will these other people be in multitudes? In other words, there were seven bidders. Ari made it sound in that piece, which I'm going to play again for you in its entirety after we, after we try to pick apart some of these questions. Ari made it sound as though we weren't bidding for some collective, for some partnership. We put in a bid. What does all of this mean and what has been unveiled in this Bloomberg interview? And again, credit it to Bloomberg. You can find it at Bloomberg.com. Andrew, let's play it again in its entirety. My colleagues and I uh, reported recently that your company has expressed some interest. You brought up live some interest in maybe investing in the PGA Tour. Saudi Arabia is obviously supposed to be part of. You're smiling at me. No, no, we, we, we. <laughs> you, you reported. You're an unbelievable journalist. We, 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 like. I think it's like seven other bidders. We put in a bid for the. Um, there's a 501c3 nonprofit, and then they created a profit uh, uh, investment opportunity for the PGA. We put in a bid. I think a week ago, like no Friday. Um, we are in in TKO. A lot the sports business. I'm an avid golfer. Anybody want to come seven handicap? We, you know, we, we you know, and it, it's you, one of the great sports. I love it. You know, I think we could add to it what we've added to all of our sports based on the flywheel. Would that? Do you have a sense of whether that would be in addition to the Saudi money coming in or instead of? Uh, we put in our bid. Yeah. For what? For the PGA deal. For, 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 for a piece of the tour, or for the for, whole thing? For, for the PGA, yeah. <laughs> a piece or whole? I'm you, know, you, can't, you can't buy the majority. Okay, thank you. So. Um. All right, so he, he reiterated, which I was able to pick up, the set, that this is probably my fifth time hearing it, but specifically when he said a piece of the tour. What he didn't do was he... It, it, you correct me if I'm wrong here, folks. He didn't concede that there was a, any forethought that the public investment fund would be a partner to this when he said we put our bid in. And again, that doesn't define it in any way, but it also does not make it clear. Because if you were looking to partner with the entities and go, yeah, yeah, this is this is part about coming together as a partnership so that everybody can benefit from this new union. He, he, instead, he said, we put in our bid. We put in our bid. So there's so many questions that are raised by this. It is very early on, and that's why we're presenting this as a breaking news story, because as oftentimes in situations such as this, we don't have answers. And there's far more questions than there are answers. But the revelation by uh, Ari Emanuel, who is the CEO of TKO and Endeavor, was nothing short of fascinating. 
absolutely fascinating. So the question comes down to what is going on with the PGA Tour? Is the PGA Tour actually in some part for sale? Is it on the open marketplace? And what does that mean to the progression of their deal with the Saudi investment fund called PIF? Don, what are we hearing from the people when when we're sharing all this information? Uh, David says, is anyone surprised that the PGA Tour will be looking for other sources of money? Question mark. Don says, no one mentions the fans. Golf enthusiasts want to see DeChambeau, Phil, Dustin. The Ryder Cup was a bust because the superstars were MIA. Nobody, Derek writes, nobody is blaming the PGA Tour for trying to protect itself, but don't pretend they are operating in the overall interests of golf worldwide. Uh, let's see. Global golf is doomed if the PGA Tour control controls pure, uh, pro professional golf. Zero global golf vision, Paul writes. Matt, John writes, Matt, do you believe the live 54-hole tournaments are equitable to the standard 72-hole tournaments? Do you really think that Taylor Gooch would have won three tournaments playing on the PGA Tour? I doubt it. I don't know if you want to quickly answer his question about the 52 for 50, 54 versus 72. No, I don't, I don't think that 54-hole tournaments are equitable to 72-hole tournaments. Uh, however, 54-hole tournaments are currently allowed within the, the spectrum of official world golf ranking points. So if it's currently being allowed, it can't be used as a criteria, and there's no indication that it was, uh, to deny them official world golf ranking points. The PGA Tour doesn't have to think about world golf. Um, we are the U.S. This person is obviously American. <laughs> There's a lot of people watching right now from all over the world, which we love. Uh, the biggest and best country in the world, uh, blankety blank, are we letting other countries buy and own our best entities? They don't have to be equitable to still get points. The DP World Tour, based on the, how the system currently works, gets lower points. It's not hard to figure out what a ratio of a live event should get. Liv just want to make money to Piff. Piff gives a blank about global, global golf. I think that person's trying to say they don't care about global golf. The PGA, Tour, uh, the PGA Tour literally has a woman in one of their fields this week. Let's not pretend that it's pure merit and competition. It's a sponsor-driven league. Players and fans and even the competition is secondary. The, diston- the dishonesty of the PGA Tour is so typical. Piff, uh, behind, Piff's behind their back trying to do deals, typical. Well, we, there's no, we don't have any evidence of that. The, the, that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say there's subterfuge here. It's, it was clearly without our knowledge, but we don't know what the players actually know. We don't know what Piff actually knows. We don't know if Piff is actually one of the entities that's driving this idea of get investment from other sources. Face it, the, US, the USA golf is not going to take blood money. You're surprised the big corporation is lying to you, question mark? <laughs> Epic dishonesty by the PGA Tour. I'm not surprised, just disheartened. Uh, question for Matt. How does he feel about an American institution being sold off to anyone outside the USA? Again, to your point, Matt, nothing necessarily. We don't know. We don't know what's being sold off in, in, in terms of percentages. 
the PGA Tour still may be the majority owner of everything. We don't know. Well, Again, that's, clear, that's why that— Clearly that, what they intend, th- yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's just interesting. So there's a lot of stuff coming in here, and obviously the question of the day, which I put to the people, is the PGA Tour for sale? Currently, 74% are saying the answer to that question is yes. Now, the qu- and there's more stuff I can go over, and we can continue to read your comments and, and, and hear what people are thinking, but— the kinds of questions that I have for you, Matt, mm-hmm. as someone who is plugged in, and I think you understand all of the angles much better than most, and I think are in a good position to at least try and make sense of this. I guess there's a couple questions I would have, and they're very straightforward. The first is, do you think Live and or the PGA Tour truly have golf the best interest of golf at heart i think that that both entities have their best interests at heart uh both both entities have said that that uh, uh, the large part if not the majority of their existence is based upon the good of the game but that doesn't dissuade from the fact that uh, in any business negotiation, and this is business negotiation, and this is big-time business negotiation, their primary objective is their objectives. And the primary objective, I think, respectively of each side, when you look at it from the PGA Tour's perspective, based upon the comments that Jay Monahan has made, including the comments he said that, that this is a war, I'm paraphrasing, and that if the weapons of war is money, we can't compete – uh, I think I think from the PGA Tour perspective, they're trying to find a pathway that will assure their existence for the long term. When it comes to live uh, in the public investment fund that owns them, I think they're trying to find a pathway that will allow their objectives of using the game of golf to bring uh, a world of of notice, a world of recognition to what they're doing in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is doing major, major, major investments. The the uh, crown prince when he was accused of saying, hey, this is sports washing, he said, if it's sports washing, then it's sports washing, and we're going to continue to do it. Uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to use their resources to provide opportunities for investment uh, and opportunities for people to travel to Saudi Arabia. The bigger question is why, because they're trying to build an economy that is sustainability that's not just in terms of oil uh, that goes beyond that. They're talking about building uh, re, uh, destination places there, you know, to the, to the scale of a Dubai or beyond. So, and they have the money to do it. They have the money to to make it happen. So, it's a very, very complicated situation with the various entities and their agendas. But I believe that their first and foremost agendas are their own. Okay. Paul says the PGA Tour doesn't own. Pro golf. Ziggy Sauer says, crap, what did I miss? A lot. That's what you missed. <laughs> There's a lot going on. But here's a very interesting question, Matt. And I want to pose this question to you. Yeah. Because this is, this, this is a, uh, this comes in from Derek. This is definitely an important aspect to this. And hopefully you can shine some light on it. How can you sell off a player's association? Because as we've said many times in this program, it, you know, it's the player's tour, right? right? Andrew, can you do me a favor and put up the policy board graphic that we have? Well, Matt answers this question. Uh, no, not that one. The other one uh, with the PGA Tours policy board, which is in one of those things. Not that one. Andrew will find it. He'll put it up on the screen for you guys. But my understanding, and Matt, you correct me or explain this to the people, is that this right here is the policy board. 
And in order for the PGA Tour, this new company that they're forming, to sign a deal with anybody for any amount of money, this group of people on the screen, which you'll see includes a bunch of player directors that are players on the tour, the quote, players on the tour, I believe they have to sign off on whatever that is. Can you correct me if I'm wrong or explain or sort of answer that question? How can you sell typically off the way that it happens typically the way that it happens in business, Dom, is that the business will create a new entity. And the new entity, say in this case, it's the for profit entity that, that Ari Emanuel was referring to. They create a new entity. And that new entity can have other investors within the entity. And that entity can do a massive sum of business actually eclipsing the original entity. That's not unusual. It can do a massive sum of business, but it falls under the original entity. You follow me? So that this this sub-entity can do all kinds of business, including deciding if it's for profit, that means it's going to pay taxes, etc., that it can do all types of different business. And then at the end of the day, it still folds under what was the original. So that the PGA Tour that is owned by the players still exists. But this for-profit entity that has these other investors involved, and then they take, again, it depends on the organization and the business, they can take assets from one and fold it under another. And those assets can be moved based upon tax implications and many, many other factors. But that's typically the way that these things are done. So when we're talking about what is probably going on here, if you get right down to the essence, which I'll jump into because I know you're going to ask the question anyway, is that I believe that the public investment fund is a part of this discussion. I don't believe that this is is a decision to draw a line and say, okay, you're on that side of it and we're on this side over here. We're going to take bids over here. And if this deal is better, we're going to go with these people instead of you. That's possible that that could happen. If the bids come in and they're big enough and you say, you know what? We like the entity over here that we're going to go with, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I think they're looking at it and going, look, the public investment fund is ready to invest. We have heard massive sums of money. We're talking billions with an S at the end, right? And so if that's the case, I bet they're still looking at that and going, okay, well, we're not going to shut that source of uh, funds off. But if we can get other people to invest these, what, at least seven bidders or so that Ari was referring to, which is still an incredible revelation that, that we've learned in the last 24 hours – If they're bringing in their own massive sums of money, either individually or in mass in some combination, and that combination can come together in such a way that they're able to go back to the Department of Justice and to Senate committee meetings or anybody else that they feel like they have to answer to, including their own constituency of players, and say, look, this is not about a new entity, NUCO, as they were calling it in the the, – press releases that we saw. This is not about a new entity that is basically owned in whole by the public investment fund. They are one of the investors. That's my instinct tells me that's what's really going on here, that this is taking them and diluting them down to a percentage where they're not a hundred percent owner, where it becomes much more palpable to, for example, the Senate has been very critical of this, which still doesn't I don't fully understand where the Senate is coming from when we have already US bases in Saudi Arabia and so many 
American-based corporations have massive funding from the exact same source. But nonetheless, I think that they're looking to make it look more like the latter and say, no, 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 look at their percentage of investment, and it's more comparable than what you'll have in terms of these huge investments that they have in American companies like Uber. Look at what what they have invested, public investment funds, and invested, what, over $2 billion, if memory serves me, Dom, in Uber? Right, this huge investments in in these different companies, so that they can look people in the eye and go, "Look, we heard you, and we have reduced their investment percentage by getting funds from these other sources as well." That's what, if I had a guess, that's what my guess is in terms of what we're dealing with here. There's some more stuff coming in, and I'll get to it. But I want to ask you two more questions, very basic questions I have here. I'll, the yeah. first one is this. Are they, and when I say they, I mean the PGA Tour, I mean PIF, I mean the seven bidders, are they overvaluing the sport of golf with this process? Um, I wouldn't say that because if you're going to make an investment in the, in the tune of collectively or individually billions of dollars, then you have a vision for where the game is going that you think it is worth it. Now, again, uh, in some businesses, it's called a loss leader where there's not a clear line between the money that you're spending and the revenue that you're bringing back in against it because there's other objectives that are involved. When you're dealing with a company uh, such as – or an entity such as PIF, PIF is not, in my mind, looking for – even though they've said with Live they intend to get a return on their investment at some time, they have other objectives. Now, the prince, when asked about it, was said, call it whitewashing if you want, but we're going to continue down the pathway where we are. And he was talking about investing in the world of sport across the board because they want to get an image and an impression of Saudi Arabia, whether you like it or whether you despise it. I'm just telling you what their objective is so that people see the country in a different way. That necessarily is not something that you can measure against how many sponsors you got and how much revenue you got back in for the money that you invested. It's not a normal uh, business process in terms of uh, this is what I invest. This is what I expect the return to be. This is when I expect that the return will start to manifest itself. So from that standpoint, uh, no, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the perspective of it's overvaluing golf on the front end because they're not measuring against the front end. They're measuring against some future return and how that future return manifests itself. It depends on what the objectives are of the individual uh, investors. And then the, and then I'll read some more comments here from you folks coming in. We appreciate it. Uh, the, the number is now 60 percent of you believe that the PGA Tour is for sale. The second question I have for you, Matt, before I go back to the people is. Obviously, none of us have any idea how this is going to play out. And it seems like there are various ways this could go. Is there a wrong way? Like, I realize that there's... I, I, let me, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this question. So let's say there are six possible finish, finished, finished options. Like, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. All of those scenarios probably have some good and some bad. My question to you is, could you foresee or do you believe that one of those is the wrong one? Because I understand that, that the, the end game for all of this, there's a lot of ups and downs and you could see some good and see some bad. I'm just wondering if you think that there is a path that, that golf as a whole needs to an- avoid. Whatever ends up happening, Matt says, we definitely just want to make sure it's not this thing over here. Well, from the, or from do you the think stand- this is so gray area where it doesn't matter? 
from the standpoint, again, because we're dealing with guesses here and presumptions, yes. but Correct. from the standpoint of assuming that there are multiple parties willing to invest in the PGA Tour, assuming that those parties, although this is somewhat contrary to, to, the, to the answer that we got from Ari that was still very gray, but assuming that those parties would not be opposed to other investors involved – then I think the best scenario they can have is to have a large base of investors. And I don't mean large in terms of the number necessarily. I mean in terms of the the dollars that are brought in uh, uh, so that they have whatever that number is. I'll just say for discussion purposes, because Ari said seven bidders. We don't know if Liv is one of those bidders. I have a sense that they're not. That's just a pure speculation. All this is. But so let's say they, they, they end up with five. And of those five, it includes uh, live. And of those, of the outside of those five, obviously, it's also going to include the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour has got to bring something to the table. And it sounds like they're going to fold all of their commercial assets under the NUCO. So there's there's obviously huge value in that. Call it sweat equity if you want to, uh, but however it's defined. So I think the best scenario that could take place, given all the factors, which includes the reaction that they had from from governmental authorities and otherwise, that having an investment funding source that in, that includes various investors all bringing substantial assets to the table that doesn't give any one investor a massive stake is the best way that they could move forward. So from that standpoint, I suppose you, you, could, you could draw from that to say, so by comparison, having PIF as the sole source of these external funds would be less desirable in my mind than having those funds come from multiple sources, even if PIF is one of them. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go back to you folks. Hear what you're thinking here. G. Willis says, I speculate that PIF may lose their patience soon. There will continue to be a player exodus if large deals are on offer. PIF has the means to create their own global majors. I see tons of young kids golfing now, so the game is getting bigger. I hope they're not blowing it. Roy says, most tour pros are playing for money. Some are playing for more than that. I'm assuming he's referring to sort of legacy on the PGA Tour, if you will, in history. Yeah. Yes, but Derek writes, yes, but doesn't Matt's model dilute the money the players will receive? You want to answer no. that question? No. There's nothing no, your model I said that do we... that or no, you don't want to answer the question. No, no, no. There's no there's no <laughs> way that you could speculate that the players are going to be diluted. If if you have a business and your business forms a new entity and your new entity gets massive funding from various sources, there's no reason to believe that that source that that your current source of funds would be would be reduced when you have this massive area of resources that you can go to. So no, I don't I don't see that as detrimental uh, to the players at all. We're, you're, you're talking about potentially new and massive funds coming into the PGA Tour. I mean, we're already seeing it with Live. I mean, the public investment fund has invested a great deal of money, and every player that's on Live has benefited from that great deal of money that came in as as an, an investment basis. So, no, I don't see it as being detrimental from a from a financial standpoint to the players at all. Okay. 
They're playing for $20 million a tournament now. I'm pretty sure that they're happy. It's interesting that that question came in from Chase or a comment. Matt and I actually were talking about that very specifically before the show. Yeah. And I made that very simple point. And Matt, your rebuttal to that was, was what? You, you basically said, well, if you're going to get $100 million up front, kind of doesn't matter. Well, it depends. No, that was just to define the, the conversation that we were having. We were having a conversation that said, what if, what if this was a choice to, to go to a source of funding, investment funding outside of PIF? And again, I've told you, my instinct and my heart tells me PIF's involved. But what if they weren't? And so now you'd have an entity over here of live, and you'd have an entity over here that is the PGA Tour. And I said, well, all that's going to do is, is cause the arms race again. Right? To which Dom said, why? Why would they go anywhere? They're, getting, they're playing for $20 million. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're already playing for $20 million over there. And what say that PIF doesn't make their doesn't make their purse 30 million, 40 million, 50 million, whatever they want. Plus you've got a player, whoever it is, X, Y, Z player. And they go to that player and they go, we're going to give you a hundred million dollars to sign on with us. They've done it. We've know those figures are out there. We're going to give you a hundred million dollars to sign on. And a player would look at that most likely or their advisors. If I was advising a player, I'd go, okay, well, let's take a look. You've been on tour for 10 years. Say, let's take a look at what you've earned over the course of those 10 years. All told. Not not commercial endorsements, just what you've earned, right? And say it comes out to an average of $10 million a year. And you're now a 30, 32-year-old player, 34, whatever it is. I'll say 32 just for argument's sake. A 32-year-old player, and you've been on the tour for 10 years. And, you know, first few years you were kind of scraping along doing your thing, but then you caught fire, you maybe won a, a major or two, and your average revenue per year gross, if you, if you divide it by 10, was $10 million a year. It's a massively successful PGA Tour career. That means you've earned $100 million and you're in your early 30s. Now an entity comes to you and goes, okay, I'm going to give you that up front. What? Tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to write you a check. $100 million. And a player looks at that and goes, okay, so I've earned $10 million a year on average over the course of my career so far, even if I've earned, you know, 50 million of that, half of that in the last three years, whatever, but it's still $10 million a year. So you're telling me that you're going to give me a check up front that would give me what I've earned over the last decade today versus me working on that. If I, if the average stayed the same over the next 10 years, it would take me to 42 years old, even with increased purses and opportunities and all the things that go into it. You're looking at something cash up front check right here. It's today. Take it. And then you're playing in a league that has comparable purses in a field where you presumably have to beat, what, 25 or 30 players at most? If you're that level of, of competitor, probably much less. So from that standpoint, it does introduce, if that was the case, and that's what we were talking about, tremendous instability. Because uh, what, what, what Don was basically saying was the, the whole argument of how much more money do they need? To which I always say, well, wait a minute. When we have that discussion and you hear other sports that are paying an athlete $20 million, $30 million, $250 million guaranteed up front, and average revenue per player in these other big sports, uh, you, can go, you can go average player or 20 or 30 players down a roster, and they're making as much as the, the leading money winner was making on the PGA Tour within the last decade or more. So the hard thing is when you're talking about professional sports is that 
at a certain point, it becomes monopoly money to us. We roll our eyes, whatever. But the players, as we just saw, even through the Ryder Cup, are more acutely aware of the dollars that are being made and where they're going and what slice of the pie they're getting than I think ever before. Now, again, as I always say in this show, I'm not trying to tell you how to think. You can be repulsed by that or you can think they're getting what they're due. That's up to you, whether you agree or disagree with it. All I'm telling you is that what's happening in the game right now with all of this stuff going on, you've got players that have stayed on the PGA Tour and they're looking across the aisle and going, wait a minute, you got how much money to go over there? $100 million, $50 million, $150 million, $200 million? We hear all kinds of figures, right? Let me tell you something else, too. Believe me, the players know. The players know. So they're sitting and going, wait a minute, he got how much? And now you're talking about a union and they're going to come back again? What did I get for staying? Right? And we've heard intimation that the tourists said, oh, no, 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 we're going to take care. We're going to find a way. We're going to find a pathway. Right? And then the other part of the other half of that, or the other side of that coin, better phrase, is saying, well, we're going to, you know, we got to find a way to. I haven't heard officially said. But the, again, the implication being to punish the players that left, to which I still scratch my head and go, wait a minute, how can you, how, whoa, 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 whoa. How, do you, how can you tell us in one breath that this is what's good for the game of golf, this grand union, this coming together, right? And the diversity that it represents in terms of the different tours, et cetera, and then tell us that somebody should be punished for creating it. Because if they didn't do what they did, would we be doing all this stuff we're doing right now, which is supposedly for the betterment of the game and the tour? And everyone. So that's that's the part that's still, that that sounds more like player PR to me than anything else. To try to quell the players who are sitting back scratching their head going, "Uh, there's parts of this that don't make any sense. So I don't know if that answered all your question, Don, but that's my perspective on it. Oh, yeah, I mean, it it answered it and gave me 50 more questions. That's okay. Isn't golf an... I'm going to continue to read comments coming in here. We appreciate it. Please keep them coming. Isn't golf an $80 billion a year business in the USA alone? No, it's actually higher than that. Well, no, no, no. Just just so we have have clarity on this. It has a direct economic impact of $102 billion. I confirmed it while you were talking there. Right. That's from the National Golf Foundation. Yeah, but and that's not. Those numbers were 2022. But, that, but bringing, the, bringing this up and bringing those numbers up, it has to be very clearly defined what we're talking about there. We're not talking about the, the, that's not something where you can point to and go, well, look at all the PGA Tour is doing for the U.S. economy. Right? That is the industry of golf. That is 16,000 plus golf courses. That's everything that goes in around it. That's golf equipment. That's all the travel that you guys do. It's everything. The indirect is over $200 million. It's like $226 million. That includes hotel rooms. That includes the real estate you buy on a golf course. There's so much more. So the golf industry as a business entity is really independent in many ways of the PGA Tour. Obviously, the PGA Tour folds under that in terms of impact because it's going to have impact hiring caterers, et cetera, et cetera, and all that goes into it. But it's really important to distinguish that when we talk about the direct economic impact of golf on the U.S. economy, by and large, we're talking about what all of you guys are doing with your engagement in the game of golf and how that multiplies itself collectively uh, with that direct economic impact. 
Okay, fair. The ones who are Chesty's rights, the one who are already, uh, the ones who already have the money, are the ones playing for more money. Cam says we appreciate being included in the conversation today. Of course, that's what we're here for. Um, <laughs> someone wrote, Elon Musk needs to buy the PGA Tour, rename it XX, and start playing golf on Mars. <laughs> X Tour. Sometimes it kind of feels like that's what's happening. Uh, the PGA Tour isn't historic, Legolas fan says. PGA Tour isn't historic at all. It's only tied to legacy, is ranking points for the majors. It's all about money. I don't know if I think that's correct, but it does Not. make me think about legacy and majors. Let me pose this question to you. When you look back at a player's career historically, take Brooks Kepka for example. Right, yeah. he's playing very well. If he stays healthy, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that he could get to double-digit majors. Let's say he does. Let's say he finishes his career with ten major championships. He has not a lot of tour wins; those count as tour wins, right? So, but he, I think he has one. I think he won the Phoenix Open, maybe another one outside yeah. of his majors. So, when he when his career is over, say in twenty years. If he has 10 majors and 10 live tour wins and 10 PGA tour wins, his legacy, correct me if I'm wrong, would would be cemented by his major championship victories. Whether he won 10 times on the PGA tour or 10 times on the live tour, I don't really think either of those things would be looked at or have near the value that the major championships have. Is that fair? How many um, how many times did Jack Nicklaus win on the PGA Tour? Seventy-eight. Good guess. I'm guessing. Yeah, I know. I'm guessing. I know. I know you are. But I don't. But 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 you know. But how, but right. How many majors did he win? Everybody knows the answer to that question. That's what I'm saying. Is that your right? point? You, I mean, you're struggling yeah. to find the answer with with Jack Nicklaus of how many how many events he won on the PGA Tour. The game of golf has always been measured against major championships, which is, which brings us back to our initial conversation when we came on the air today of why they need to figure out the world ranking that, that if there are players that can contend that are capable of winning majors that are being denied access to the majors because they can't find a formula that works for the world ranking points of where they pry their trade, then figure it out. Work with Right, because majors are the way that we gauge and measure the game. Because you can't measure it by money. No sport can measure it by money anymore. Somebody going to compare themselves to Babe Ruth based upon career earnings? Right, you can't do it. You can do it with World Series titles. You can do it with major championship wins. And because golf's an ind- individual sport, just like tennis. You know, Grand Slam titles seem to mean something more because they're individually earned, even though you'll hear people say the cliche that you can't compare eras. There's a sense in golf that you can. And the reason why there's a sense in golf that you can is because of Tiger Woods. You could look at it and say, well, when Jack Nicklaus started winning his majors from 1962 to 1986, then through a portion of his career, at least the first third, if not the first half, you didn't have fields that were as deep as they are today. Well, that's, that's a good argument, and it's true. 
My counter to that argument is, yeah, but the top 20 or 30 that he was fighting against was an absolute bar fight who didn't back down to anybody. And look how many of them are multiple major champions, even through Jack Nicklaus's win of 18 majors and 19 second-place finishes. Right? But no one can deny that the field from top to bottom isn't as stout as it is, is today. And that's been the case for a long time. Then you get Tiger Woods come along. He wins 15 major championships when the fields are as deep and as stout as they are because he's Tiger Woods, which is why there's fuel to the fire of any time someone has a discussion about who's the greatest of all time because you look at Tiger and what he did against those deeper fields. It's a great argument. Happy to have that one day on this, on this show too to, to present both sides. So I think major championships are absolutely critical. That's why with what's going on right now and what I referred to as golf's turbulent waters, I thought because we were able to get live players before they completely fell off the, the rankings to oblivion, because we were able to get them into the major championships, not as many as deserved to be there, admittedly, but because they were in the major championships of 23, I think the major championships actually got better despite the churning waters that, are, that is golf right now because we were able to see everybody together at the same place at the same time. Anything else, Don, before we wrap up today? I mean, there's an endless supply. I love the show, Matt and Dom Joe says. Thank you. We also love you. Uh, they should be trying to create more superstores and more superstars rather than more income. Most of the big names we have right now will all be gone at about the same time. That that makes me think of a question, Matt. Does golf have a storytelling problem? Yes. Yeah. I think unequivocally, okay. yes. God, what golf has has a, an issue with ensuring that people understand who they are and what they are. Uh, golf, in all of golf's major entities, are striving to make the game more inclusive. But where there's a disconnect, in my view, in the game of golf, is that the game of golf is is surging. And what we need to do as people who love the game of golf is embrace the game of golf in, in its entirety, not deny a portion of the game, even if it's a majority of the game, in order to focus on a tiny part of the game and say, well, this is where we want to put our, our majority of focus right now. We should be focusing on every part of the game and helping the game grow in every way possible. The game right now is a business, and this goes back to when you were talking about direct economic impact in the U.S. economy as an example. The game of golf as a business right now is as strong or stronger than it's ever been in the history of its game, even when you equate it to dollars from then to today. It's stronger than it's ever been. There are more people being attracted to the game. They're coming into the game in different ways, whether it's uh, top golf or what have you. For years, I've always said the same thing. I used to complain uh, for years on my soapbox that we weren't measuring the game correctly. We chose it. It was our own fault. The National Golf Foundation measured the game by participation. And I'm looking at that going, how can you possibly do that? So that when you're out in the marketplace and someone says, well, you're a 25 million sport. NASCAR, 75 million. Is that by participation? Are they taking their minivans and racing them around the track? Football is $149 million. Really? When was the last time most football fans actually threw a football, played a game? Even if it was tag football, I don't care. It's football. When? How many? So we chose to measure ourselves that way for years and years and years. 
The other massive damage that was done at that same time was was the whole the the game of golf because of the aging of the baby booners is going to require a new golf course to be built. I mean, on, nonstop. I think they based it all in the year two thousand back in those days. But it was it was caused so much overdevelopment of junk. So you have these developers come together. They'd put together a community. The land that they didn't want to build on or couldn't build on, they go to an architect and go, yeah, create a golf course out of that. It was junk. So we over-inventoried the industry with garbage. Most of that has fleshed itself out now. Not all of it, but most of it is gone. About 90% of it is out of the industry now. Right? And then you have places like 10 years ago, five years ago, Dom, if we were up to your house and, and, and uh, Friday morning we got done, we said, hey, how about we go out and play? We'd get a tea time like that. You go out as a single now when you drop your kids off at school. How hard is it for you to find a tea time where you live in the Raleigh area? I cannot find a tea time. There's not a lot of public golf where I live. It's mostly private courses. So the limited public golf and the massive boom of golf that you're referencing it's almost impossible to get a tea time. And I'm talking about like on a Wednesday, like in the afternoon, can't get a tea time. I mean, you got to book 10 days in advance somewhere and, and know that you're going to want, that you want to be somewhere at a certain time in 10 days to have a chance. At, at See, playing. so that's what I'm talking about. So what happens with, with the game of golf is that. Which sucks, by the way. Can I just complain briefly about that? Really blows. <laughs> so w- so what happens with the game of golf, though, is that the focus on the game of golf is upon turbulence at the top of the game. And with all due respect, the game of golf is not the PGA tour. The game of golf is not live golf. It is not the DP world tour or the Ryder cup or anything else. Those are professional leagues. The game of golf is different than all of the other major sports because there is such a massive structure behind it of play closest thing I would compare it to directly of course would be tennis but to a different degree and then baseball to a certain degree especially in youth sports the the challenge that I've seen with baseball is what happens when kids get to be 12 13 14 years old and they choose to go in different directions where it used to be head on but when we're talking about the game of golf the game of golf is absolutely soaring and that story is one where I don't think the story is being effectively told. It just isn't because because the money that's involved in the game from a mass media standpoint is all around their, this, the professional sports leagues, which right now are in, I'm going to call it turmoil because of, because of the, the way that the stories, Dom calls it chaos, but the way that the stories are constantly shifting. Yes, I, I, I love it. I love the chaos. I tell Matt constantly it's good for business. It is good for business. This is wild. I mean, we can come on this morning and we're talking about what we're talking about. The comments from Ari on Bloomberg are, are mind-melting with everything going on. Yes. To hear him say that, it's just like, whoa, whoa. whoa. Like, you know, it's like you're in a race car and you're just immediately just slamming the brakes. It's like, whoa, what is happening? This is crazy. So I can't wait to see how it sort of all unfolds, and the obviously more folks continue to comment, and the endless supply, which we appreciate. There's I well, mean, there's I think a lot, that, obviously there's a lot to talk about. So I think the it's thing complicated. It, it it is that, but it, I think the thing that it that it screams for now is 
the PGA Tour is clearly invested in what people think. You know, this comes down to the, now the fans now, all of us. The, the PGA Tour is clearly invested to go, no, no, what you guys think about what's happening with all this is important. Uh, and, and that point was, was brought home distinctly when the United States Senate, which represents the people, said, oh, no, we want to hold hearings to, to make sure that everything is copacetic here. So from that standpoint, I actually think that it, we're at a point now where based upon what Ari said, Ari Emanuel, the CEO of TKO and Endeavor, to Bloomberg, and you can find it at Bloomberg.com, what he said to them is pretty much going to require the tour to react. The, the ball is really in the tour's court now to explain to us in whole or at least in part what the heck is going on. What is really going on here, and how does it relate to everything else that that we've already been told? Because we were told that golf was already on this this great pathway, and this is what was best for the game of golf. There's nothing wrong with that modifying. There's nothing wrong with them coming back and going, yeah, we're continuing to work on that, and as we're working on it, other, other opportunities are popping up. That happens in business all the time. Great. But I do think that the world of golf, fans and otherwise, Deserves some type of explanation of what this is all about. Seven bidders for the tour. Not the majority, it was told us, but for the tour was the way it was said with kind of hands up. What is happening? Thank you, folks, for joining us uh, on this special edition of the Fairways of Life show with this breaking news. Uh, we will keep a close eye on it for all of you. Thank you for your engagement. Thank you, as ever, for your passion. It is very, very much appreciated. And uh, for Spared, we'll be back with you again on Monday to talk about that and more, including all the results of what's happening in the world of golf right now uh, between the ropes. Until then, be well. Thank you, and goodbye. <laughs>